Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, Declarations and Decrees. Praise the Lord. Today, I want to talk to you this morning about what it means to make a declaration, what it means to issue a decree, why it is biblical, and why it is significant, and why you need to be making declarations and decrees of your own. You know, if you do a word search on your Bible software, you'll find the word decree All throughout books like Esther, Ezra, and Daniel. It's amazing. Try it sometime. Where kings made decrees that affected their nation, that affected the nation of Israel, and really changed the course of history. And even when the words declare or decree are not used, you'll find the concept of authoritative commands and written laws from cover to cover in your Bible or from index to index in your devices. Amen. So I want to begin by laying just a little bit of groundwork on decrees and declarations. You know, we hear a lot about those things, and sometimes I'm not sure we as the people of God know exactly what a decree is and what a declaration is and why we're authorized to say such things. Well, first of all, you have to understand that government was ordained by God. Let me say that again. Government was ordained by God. If you would turn in your Bibles to Romans 13, verse 1, we'll be reading in the NIV. This is, I think, the best way to say it scripturally, just like Paul says to the church at Rome. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Later on in that chapter, it says, if you resist the authority that was instituted by God, he has the authority to use the sword against you to make you toe the line. Amen. That's why we get the concept of police and military. Amen. But I digress. So government, although not always godly in execution, I think we know that, was instituted by God to curb sin and maintain law and order over people groups, over cities, and over nations. Isn't that right? And for thousands of years, kings and rulers have been making declarations and issuing decrees. And these words over time have been written down and have become the basis for the law of the land of many nations. Let me give you a scripture to back that up. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 15, New King James. Proverbs 8, 15. By me kings reign, and rulers decree justice. I'm going to read it again. By me kings reign, and rulers decree decree justice. So again, we see that God was the author of human government. But while there are earthly governments formed by declarations and decrees, 
It was always God's intention that earthly governmental laws would line up with or agree with God's governmental laws, with His declarations, with His decrees. Isn't that right? And we see that in Matthew 6, verse 10, when Jesus taught to pray a certain way. Matthew 6, 10, this is New King James. Jesus said, pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. So God wants his laws to be our laws, our ways to be his ways. So with all this governmental talk in mind, let me tell you something that most Christians are unaware of. Hear me out. This is the central point that I want to get to today. The church of Jesus Christ was ordained by Jesus to be a governing body with delegated spiritual authority given to them by God. I think that's worth repeating. The church of Jesus Christ was ordained by Jesus to be a governing body with delegated spiritual authority given to them by God. Amen. Matthew 16, verse 17 through 19, English Standard Version. Now, I'll give you a little background here. Jesus is talking with his inner circle, with his disciples, and he's heard the rumors that people are asking about Jesus. You know, who do people say that Jesus is? Some people say he's the prophet Elijah. Some people say another prophet. Uh, but Jesus turned the question out to them or turned it around and pointed to them and said, but, but who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say? What do you think? And Peter was the first one to answer, and we pick it up here in verse 17. And Jesus answered him. Actually, i got to tell you what Peter said. He said, you are the son of the living God. He was the only one that had the right answer. Ding, 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 ding. Survey says, yes, you are the son of the living God. How many remember that show? Don't even know what I'm talking about, do you? It was a game show. Come on, folks. I don't remember the name of it. It escapes me at the time. But I remember the thing going ding, 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 ding. Family feud. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. So anyway, when Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered correctly and said, you are the son of the living God. So we pick it up at verse 17. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen to that. We're already on the winning side. Amen. Verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's talking about authority. Amen. The keys in verse 19 speak of the authority that's been given to the church by Jesus Christ. Now, the word translated as church in verse 18 is a very interesting word. It is the Greek word, Ecclesia. Ecclesia. 
So it turns out in ancient Greece, an ecclesia was a body of citizens that met together to make decisions about war and foreign policy. Isn't that interesting when you think about spiritual warfare? Amen. So here in this passage, the word ecclesia carries with it the concept that the church is a ruling, governing body with delegated authority to bind and to loose or as some translate it, to allow or not to allow certain things, to make rulings, declarations, or decrees that establish things in the spirit realm that will ultimately affect things in the natural realm. Amen. That's where the warfare has to be waged, in the spirit realm. We can't come against people. We can't come against institutions We just have to come against the heavenly forces that are causing people to be influenced by darkness. Amen? When you make a declaration or a decree that's based on the Word of God or the Word of the Spirit of God to you, you release tremendous power in the heavenly realm that can change the course of your life, the lives of your fellow saints, the course of nations, and as I've already said, even the course of history itself by your declarations and your decrees. Why? Because Jesus gave you the authority to bind and loose, to permit some things and not to permit other things. Amen. You have the authority already vested in you as a born-again child of God. Amen. With all that in mind, if you're going to be effective making declarations and decrees, you need to do one thing, or actually two things. You need to let prayer and the Word be the foundation of your declarations and your decrees. If you'll spend time in prayer, if you'll spend time in His presence and spend time in His Word and make them a priority in your life, you'll be able to hear more clearly when the Spirit of God speaks to you, whether He highlights a particular verse of Scripture or whether He speaks a more specific word by His Spirit. And when you release that word in the form of a decree or declaration, it will carry much more anointing than if you just throw something out there and hope it sticks. Without first building a firm foundation of the Word and the Spirit. Amen? Don't do that. Don't make foolish, hasty decrees. Don't knee-jerk react to certain things, like watching a news report, and you want to holler certain things at the TV or the radio. Those aren't the kind of decrees you need to be making. Unless you're prayed up. Unless you spent time in the Spirit. Unless you spent time in the Word, and God quickens it immediately, and that... That has happened to me, okay? But most of the time, I just say something in anger. You fools, you don't even know what you're doing. I know I'm the only one. Y'all just pray for me, okay? (laughs) You know, you don't want something out there that you decreed that's not necessarily something that God wanted decreed. It might have been a good decree, but the timing could have been all wrong. Amen? You know what I'm saying? Now, that doesn't mean there won't be times, as I've already alluded to, when you're out there somewhere and don't have time to pray, 
And the Lord quickens to you by his spirit to release a decree. Then be obedient and just let her rip tater chip. Amen. That's my saying, everybody. It's okay if you laugh. But again, if you establish an intimate prayer life with the Lord and spend time in his word, you'll be ready for those times too. Let me show you that in the word. John 15, verse 7, King James Version. John 15, verse 7. I love this scripture and the next one we're going to read after this because it just speaks to me so, so powerfully. Jesus said to his followers, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. To me, this is earth shattering. Let me read it again. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Isn't that amazing? Most of the time we've been conditioned to pray, Lord, your will be done, not mine. But this says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Now, let me show you what's going on here. Let's break this down. If you abide in me, that speaks of spending time in his presence, which I've already talked about. And my words abide in you. You feed on the word of God regularly. If you do those two things you can actually get to the point in your life where your thoughts are God's thoughts, your ways are God's ways, and your words and declarations are His words of declaration. Job twenty two twenty eight says essentially the same thing, although it's a more ancient scripture. Job twenty two twenty eight, King James Version. Keep in mind that Job is the oldest book in the Bible. This was before the law. This was before there was any written law. Any law that they had was passed down orally by tradition. So they didn't have a whole lot to grab hold of. But if you read there in chapter 22, as, as I've done many times, you find out that one of Job's friends was telling him, listen, if you will spend time acknowledging his word in your heart and spend time praying unto him, you can get to the point where in verse 28 it says, thou shalt also decree a thing and it shall be established unto thee and the light shall shine upon thy ways. I like the way the Amplified says it. Thou shalt decide and decree a thing and it shall be established unto you and the light of God's favor shall shine upon your path. Amen. How'd you like that to happen on a regular basis in your life? Well, learn to decree a thing and be led by the Spirit when you do. And the light of God's favor will shine upon your path and give you the right direction and the right choice to make. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, let's talk about Bible examples of spoken decrees. You know, one of my favorites, in fact, my all-time favorite, is Psalm chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, because it involves a decree that God Himself makes. You know, God's not expecting you to do something that He doesn't already do. Amen? If you're His child, He wants you to be like Him. If He makes godly declarations, He wants you to make godly declarations. Psalm 2, verse 7 and 8, King James Version. God says... 
Actually, Jesus said, but you got to follow to understand what I mean by that. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Amen. I love this one because it's a decree, as I said, made by God and echoed by Jesus himself. Amen. God said, on this day I have begotten thee. On this day, you've been raised from the dead. On this day, you have paid the price for the salvation of the whole world. Now I give the heathen as an inheritance unto you. And I believe before Jesus, the heathen was given to him as an inheritance for destruction. But after Jesus, the heathen was given to Jesus for their salvation. Amen. Because we're in the new covenant. The old covenant, you had to get rid of certain people because they were thwarting the will and the word of God. But now Jesus wants to forgive and cleanse and accept people into the kingdom. Amen. So this is a decree that means a lot to me. Letting demons and angels alike know. When he made this declaration, he let demons and angels alike know that Jesus had been raised from the dead and the price had been paid, as I said, for the salvation of the whole world. And the heathen, which were once targeted for destruction, were now targeted for salvation. Amen. I use it often when I pray for the lost, especially on Wednesday night prayer. I like to combine it with Romans 8, 16, and 17, which says, if you're a child of God, if you are born again, then you're an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. Did you hear what I said? If you're a child of God, you are an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. That means whatever inheritance Jesus gets, you get a portion of that inheritance because you are a child of God and a joint heir of Jesus. So when I pray for the lost... I say, Lord, I want my portion. I want the ones that belong to me. I want my inheritance, my territory, those that are coming to Christ in my area, in my designated area. Lord, I claim them by faith according to your decree that you released ages ago when you spoke to Jesus and said, this day I have begotten thee and the heathen are now yours for an inheritance. Now I claim my portion. You see how that goes? You see why decrees and declarations are so important? All right, I got a couple of examples of how that many times declarations are made after a time of prayer and communion with the Lord. Not always. Again, I, I say there would be times when you don't have time for that, and if you're prayed up and the Word's in you, you'll be ready. But many times, you'll be grateful for the time to be able to pray and commune with the Lord before you do something like raise somebody from the dead. Would you agree with me that you might want to say a word or two of prayer to the Father before you do something like that? So let me just show you that it is actually scriptural. John chapter 11, verse 41 through 44, New King James Version. John eleven forty one 41 through 44. Now, this is the very famous story of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And if you know the story, Jesus lollygagged. That's my word, my paraphrase. He lollygagged for four days, knowing 
that when he finally got to the tomb of his friend Lazarus, he would have been dead at least four days. Okay, so we pick up the story there in in verse 41. Jesus said, roll away the stone. Verse 41, he says, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. What is he doing? He's praying. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. I believe Jesus is saying, we've got our own way of communicating, Father, but I'm choosing to pray this out loud so they'll know that I'm in communion with you. And anything that happens from this point forward is because you are operating through me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. What is that? That is a decree. That is a declaration motivated by the Spirit. After spending time in prayer and communion with the Father, He knew exactly what to say and when to say it. Lazarus, come forth. Verse 44. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. What was that? That was another decree. Amen. He had been raised from the dead, and now he didn't need to be bound anymore by those filthy grave clothes. Loose him and let him go. Amen. Hallelujah. So again, we see here that prayer and communion with God were followed by the release of a very powerful decree. And when that decree was released, something changed in the atmosphere around that tomb. Something changed in the atmosphere in Abraham's bosom. I believe that Lazarus was down there and heard the voice of Jesus calling him by name. And all of a sudden, he felt himself rising up out of Abraham's bosom and ended up back in his body, raised from the dead. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Even though he had been dead for four days, you know, they had a tradition back then that the spirit would hang around the body for three days after that, it would go wherever it was supposed to go. So Jesus said, I'm just going to take it one more day just to show the Jewish people around me that I'm not bound by their tradition. I can call them back from the dead anytime I want to. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right, let's look at a decree that Peter made also after prayer and communion with the Father. Also, raising someone from the dead. Again, I say, if you're going to raise somebody from the dead, at least say a word or two, a word or two of prayer to the Father. Father, are you really asking me to do this? And if you are, how do you want me to handle this? You know, if you're called to raise that per- person from the dead, God is going to give you specific instructions. I believe he'll give you the exact Words to say. Amen. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 9, verse 36 through 40. In the New King James Version. 
At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. Amen. Again, I say, you got to pray before you raise the dead. At least that's my rule of thumb. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Again, I say that there was a time of reflection, a time of communion with the Father, and then he issued a decree, Tabitha, arise. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Remember that the next time you raise somebody from the dead. Hey, you know, there are people in this room or people who know people that have raised the dead in this congregation. So it's not something we're not accustomed to or at least familiar with. Amen. I'll go ahead and tell Mary's husband, Ricky. My favorite story about him over in Africa, somebody gave him a baby while he was preaching to masses, and he wasn't understanding the language they were speaking, and this lady brought this baby in a swaddling clothes, forgive me if I get some of the details wrong, and kept trying to hand the baby to him, and finally said, okay, I'll continue to preach while I hold this baby in my arms, and he held the baby in his arms for, I don't know, the rest of the time he was preaching or something, but a good while. And then he handed the baby back to the mom, couldn't understand what she was saying about her baby. It turns out the baby had been dead for about 24 hours, somebody said. Not that long, but at least several hours. And she gave a dead baby to Ricky, and he preached. And because the anointing was on Ricky to preach and to heal, that baby came back to life about the time the mama got to the back of the congregation, and she started hooting and hollering. The baby was raised from the dead. Amen. He didn't even issue a decree. <laughs> he probably did. He just didn't know it. He was preaching the word of God, and the baby was raised from the dead. Amen. Hallelujah. I just put that out there because I know somebody, a very good friend of mine, who's now in heaven, that raised people from the dead. Amen. All right. Jesus told the disciples to pray and to declare at the same time. You say, what? Show that to me in the scripture. Well, Mark eleven twenty two through 24 in the New King James Version. We're going to take a look at this verse or these verses uh, from a little bit different point of view. Usually these verses are used to teach the topic of faith and They are excellent verses for that, but that's not exactly what I want to talk about right now. I want you to pay attention. Mark 11, 22 through 24, New King James. And again, I'm going to show you that Jesus actually told the disciples that declarations were to be an integral part of their prayer life. 
Verse 22 says, And Jesus answering said unto them, This is after they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots, which Jesus the day before had cursed. Verse 22, And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. You know, some translations say, Have the faith of God. Other translations say, Have the God kind of faith. Amen. What kind of faith does God have? Well, God says, God says what he believes, and then he watches it come to pass. You know, that's the way I see it. Verse 23, For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Notice I'm emphasizing the saying. That's because... There's three times as much saying in that verse as there is believing. And why is that? Because once you believe something in your heart, you have to release it by faith. And the way you release it by faith is by speaking it out of your mouth. Paul said, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Amen. Hallelujah. If you believe something in your heart, sooner or later, it's going to come out of your mouth. Then verse 24 says, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. So let me sort of tie all these three verses together. This is what it says to me. What I believe Jesus is saying here in these verses is that faith-based declarations and decrees should be a vital part of our prayer life. And one of the ways we demonstrate that we believe, we receive, the answer to our prayers is by decreeing and declaring what we already have. Decreeing and declaring that we already have the answer. Amen? This threw me for years. Why is he talking about speaking to mountains and speaking? What does that have to do with prayer? Well, it tells me that there's a point in your prayer life when you've prayed enough that it's time to start making declarations and demonstrating to God that you believe you receive what you've been praying for. Amen. Now I want to talk about something I've never heard anybody preach on. Declarations of love and forgiveness. Luke chapter 17, verse 3 through 6. New King James Version. Remember, this whole thing is about declarations and decrees and how vital they are now significant and powerful they are. Luke 17, 3 through 6, New King James, Jesus speaking here to his followers, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. We don't think we can do that. Hey, listen, that's better than over there in Matthew 18 where Jesus said, you're going to have to forgive them seven times, 70 times. That's 490 times. I did the math last night in a 12-hour period. That means that you would have to be offended every 90 seconds by the same person in a 12-hour period. It's obviously not possible for somebody to offend you that many times. 
Jesus used this method very often. It's called hyperbole. Emphasis by exaggeration. Amen. So what was Jesus really saying? As many times as they ask you to forgive them, you need to forgive them. Period. No matter how many times that is. Amen. Anyway, the apostles at this monumental task said, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Do you all know how little a mustard seed is? It's about half the size of the sesame seed on your McDonald's hamburger bun. That's how small we're talking about. So Jesus is saying the amount of faith is not the issue. (laughs) Because if you had real faith, even mustard seed faith, you would say something. Amen. So you mean you can demonstrate love and forgiveness by making decrees and declarations? You mean by faith you can declare that you forgive and release somebody who betrayed you and hurt you even though you did nothing wrong to deserve it? Anybody out there ever had that happen to you? Don't raise your hand because I think everybody's hands would go up. Evidently, you can if you believe the words of Jesus. So what would such a declaration look like? Very simple. He gave you the example to follow. Speak to this mulberry tree, cast it into the sea. Lord, this person hurt me badly. And every time I think of them, I want to call them up and give them the business. Amen? But by faith, Lord, I declare and I decree that I forgive them. I release them. I bless them. I hold no ill will against them. I pull up this tree of unforgiveness that is rooted in bitterness and pain, and I cast it into the sea. That's how you make a declaration of love and forgiveness. And believe me, I have had to do it. All right, a couple more examples from Scripture, and then we'll wrap it up. I think you're getting the picture. I see it in your faces. I want to talk for just a few minutes, just a couple scriptures, about the healing ministry of Jesus. It turns out if you take a look at the healing ministry of Jesus, you'll find something that surprises a lot of people. He never actually prayed for anyone to be healed. He simply spoke a word or made a decree and healing was released. We can learn a lesson from that. Mark chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, New King James. Now, the background on this verse is Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And Scripture points out that there was a man there that had a withered hand. And Jesus noticed it. And Jesus in verse 4 says to the rest of the crowd, Then he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. 
And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. What is that? That's a decree of healing. That's a miracle spoken into the atmosphere and manifesting instantly. I remember the first time that happened to me. Actually, the only time it happened to me. I don't want to embellish and make it sound like these things happen to me all the time. But I was praying for a man in Corpus Christi, Texas. And he came to me. I was teaching a six-week class on the gifts of the Spirit. And we were talking about the power gifts, gifts of healing, working of miracles, these kind of things. And at the end, the Lord said, I want to demonstrate what you have just taught the people Why don't you ask anybody that needs a touch from the Lord to come forward? So I did, and only one man came forward. His name was Andy Edlin. Later on, I got to know him very well, and you'll find out why. Andy walks up through the center aisle, very similar setup here. There was about maybe 15 people. And I always tell people my wife was there, but she said I was pregnant with Marcy, and I wasn't paying attention. So how she says eight months pregnant. Well, I just don't remember that. But I wasn't the one going through it. Anyway, Andy comes walking forward. Andy comes walking forward. And I thought, man, he looks perfectly healthy. Got a smile on his face. And he got about this far. And he he turned his right shoulder to me. And I saw that he had a a left shoulder blade that was completely formed. I could see through his shirt. And on the right side, where there should have been a shoulder blade, there was just a hole in his back. He said, I have a degenerative bone disease I'm going to the orthopedic surgeons on Thursday. They're going to do surgery, and they're going to do what they can to give me some function, some rotation of my right arm. Can Jesus do something for me? I'm telling you, when he said that, the atmosphere in the room shifted, and something came over me. And before I realized what I was doing, I I sort of rushed to him. I, I took a real quick one or two steps to get to him as quickly as possible. And before I knew what I was doing, I put my left hand in the hole in his back, which was kind of awkward which because it bought attention to his deformity. And then I put my right hand on his chest, and I didn't pray for him. I began to speak things over his body. I said, shoulder blade, I command you to grow in Jesus' name. Bones grow. Tendons grow. Ligaments grow. Blood vessels grow, shoulder blade grow in Jesus' name. And when I started speaking like that, I heard popping and grinding in his shoulder. His eyes got as big as saucers. My eyes got as big as saucers. He started crying. I started crying. I said, can you, can you feel that? He said, yes. Within about 15 or 20 seconds, the power of God filled in and grew a shoulder blade and pushed my hand out of the hole in his back. And it's the most amazing creative miracle I've ever seen. I saw another man's leg grow six inches, but that was somebody else praying for him. And I just didn't realize what I had done. I said, Lord, what was different? I prayed for other people in similar situations, and and it didn't work. And he said, you didn't pray. You spoke. You decreed. And it came to pass. Amen? Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I get emotional every time. And that's, 
That's been, what, 35 years ago? I still get emotional about it. Praise the Lord. Luke 13, 10 through 15. Yes, my wife reminded me, I have prayed to the Lord recently and said, Lord, I want that, but I want it in spades. I want it in great abundance. That's why I was so encouraged when the Lord gave me that vision on October 10th of last year that gifts would be poured out in this facility, in this church. Amen. Signs, wonders, and miracles. We're believing for it. If he did it once before, he can do it many more times again. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right, Luke chapter 13, verse 10 through 15. This is our last example, and then we'll wrap it up. Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. She had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. And I'll stop right there and let you know that what that means is there is a demon that is directly responsible for the sickness or disease or the condition of the person. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. What is that? That's a decree. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, I'm going to share a personal example. And then, as I said before, the third time I said it, this is my third closing. I will wrap things up. I had an encounter with the spirit of infirmity in the early 1990s when Trisha and I were living in Minden, Louisiana. We were attending uh, Living Word Worship Center there. We were good friends with the pastor. Uh, we worked in ministry there, and I got to preach often from the pulpit. And so this was a Sunday night, and I was preaching on healing. God wants you well. When you tell people God wants you well and they see it in the Scripture, people get healed. That night, people were getting healed. I worked my way about two-thirds down the line. And, you know, I had learned my lesson a little bit from Andy Edlin years before that you don't have to pray, you can just say. And so I was speaking healing over people, and I was seeing some instant manifestations. And I got to this one lady, and I started speaking to her, the Word of God, you know, just commanding things, and nothing was working. <laughs> nothing was working. And I asked her, what's going on? And she said, well, I'm 27. When I was a toddler, I became deaf in my, my uh, left ear. I have to remember, she was facing me. And I want God to restore my hearing. So I prayed for her, or I pray, spoke. I kind of alternated between praying and speaking because I had learned my lesson that speaking was really where the action was when it comes to healing. But nothing was happening. It seemed like everything I was saying or praying was bouncing off of her. And finally, I heard the Lord speak to me say, she has a spirit of infirmity. If you don't deal with the spirit, she won't be healed. And he had to say it to me three times because I argued with him. Things like, if I start casting out devils in this church, I may never preach again. And he said, would you rather never preach again or disobey me? I was like, I, I think I would uh, rather never preach again. 
So what I did is I put my finger in her left ear and I said, you foul spirit of deafness, come out in Jesus name. Her ear opened up instantly. She heard for the first time in about 25 years. Amen. Hallelujah. She had a spirit of infirmity. I made a decree. You foul spirit of deafness, you come out in the name of Jesus. And it happened. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, I hope that I've stirred your hearts to be bold and make faith-filled declarations and decrees in every area of your life. There's more power in speaking the word of the Lord than you realize. Power that releases breakthroughs in your life and in the lives of others. So let your prayer life and time in the word be the foundation of your declarations and decrees. And when they rise up in your spirit, speak them over your finances, your health, your relationships, your church, your state, your nation, and your world. And especially when you minister to others in healing and in deliverance. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's message, Declarations and Decrees. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.